Yo, ladies and gentlemen, it's Thursday. It's time for the last Art Fight podcast of 2020. Brian, are you ready for this godforsaken year? Let's do away with it. I yeah, call it. it feels that way a little bit, but I hope that by the time we get to the end of this podcast, we are talking uh, positively about the year. I think it's yeah. It's, it's too easy to be negative. Well, it's also such a strange thing because you're always operating in a in some sort of weird parallel where you're you have to look at yourself and if you're lucky enough to have not been like devastatingly affected, then right. you have this opportunity to just think about it in this sort of holistic and cool way for yourself. And then if you're on the other side of that, then that's where you are. And there's so many people that are on the other side of that. So then it makes you feel guilty for even relishing anything about it. But at the same time, if you're here and it's happening, you got to make the most of whatever's going on. And mm -hmm. so you can't feel bad about really get into, getting into this sort of audit. And yeah. this year has been for everybody's process and for everybody's craft or strengths or weaknesses or whatever. So right. it's like a whole thing. Anyway, so I, it's a strange thing to straddle. So I just wanted to disclaimer that out so that it doesn't sound like we're complete jerks when it's, this has actually been awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. No, no, no. In a lot of ways. I, yeah. I think, I think too, it's a thing where, you know, for me, the other push and pull is like looking forward to what does the next six months bring. And it's like on one level, I'm like, okay, if I have extra time or extra money, I either have to be preparing for total disaster <laughs> or yeah. preparing to make the next step in the progress I'm trying to make. And I honestly really don't know what is coming next. And so I'm just really doing my best to hedge my bets either way. Yeah. And hopefully we're looking at a slow return to uh, some kind of world where we can meet our friends in bars again. I, I don't know why that's the or restaurants really. I would give up bars if I could have restaurants with alcohol. <laughs> yeah, everybody's having such a different experience, also in the sense that the people like there's so many people, at least around here, that are it's just business as usual. There's no they're never this has not been a real issue for them because they haven't really I don't know. The, the bars when they're allowed to have people are full. Like everything's just been operating at max capacity in this strange way. So it's like, uh, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, Cause you've got more of that. Like I, I like where I'm at in Nashville for anyone who's not around here is like this weird, like it's almost, it's literally called old Hickory village. I've only been here for a little bit less than a year. What's your address? Well, I'm not gonna tell you my address, <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, but it's, it's like literally this old factory town that now is a little village within Nashville. And it's, but it's very much a thing where we've got some little bars in this area and, and to some degree, I see activity in them. In one of them, there's a couple of bars that are more like biker bar type spots. And one of them that's near here even in the beginning of the pandemic lockdown, I think it was before Nashville got too serious about it. That place was still just packed. You know what I mean? So part of me wonders that as they let restaurants and stuff open up, I wonder how busy they were. I've got to go out of my way to see what's yeah, going yeah. on over there. And I'm not like, I'm not doing, I'm not really getting, I'm not really traveling around the neighborhood very much, except for when I need to basically. But, but near where Brian is there, it's an area that has in the last 10 years, like literally exploded. And it's, there's tons of bar, bars and restaurants by you. And, and you probably see more of that, be able to monitor that better. But it's weird because I, I, 
it's I've seen some footage of like stuff downtown and stuff where it's big tourist honky tonk bars this time that are like scandalously full of people. There's been so many chapters inside this whole sort of situation, and we're still not through with it. It's uh, it's tricky. But yeah, there's been these different modes. (laughs) Different. There's been these sort of different modes that we've been in, whereas the freaked out place and just a fully isolated place and take finally taking a road trip or something. There's all these different sort of, but you see it happening around like a lot of people responding in similar cadence, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know, Uh, but yeah, people are tripping out, going to bars, whatever. That's cool. Hey, it's almost over except for four months or something. (laughs) <laughs> so, we'll through see the darkest time but uh we'll get there <clears throat> yeah 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 and i also too i i've got to say that i've been a little bit more locked down than some have been because just because i've got asthma and things like that and it's like mm-hmm. a dumb idea for me to get coronavirus but at the same time it's i don't have any hate for anybody doing anything because i feel like it's been incredibly confusing everything that's yeah, going yeah. on for a number of reasons. I feel like some people have been probably willfully ignorant. I feel like other people have been willfully misleading. I feel mm-hmm. like other, I feel like the science community has done a terrible job of communicating what, which way is up and this whole thing. And yeah. so I don't blame anybody for anything they're doing, whatever. Or, you're, or you're, just, just, or just understanding that it's just, that's what science is. And when things are new, you just, you have only so much information you, you make, it. you make the best conclusions you can at the time with the information you have, but then things are subject to change. It's strange how you've seen a lot of stuff where people are like, the scientists said that this and that and the other, and now it's this and that and the other. And it's, that's what science is, man. <laughs> like, right. like it, it's not something you can plug into. And it's this empirical set of knowledge that is overarching and, and yeah. throughout, throughout the past and the future on some continuum. For people, I don't think it's so much people being ignorant about how science works as much as it's people being taken by surprise by something that's brand new and and not really getting the idea that it's like when it's brand new we're lear- we're starting from zero it's we don't know yeah. we don't know and we thought that last month and then mm-hmm. we realized it wasn't that so now it's this and it it's changing cuz we're gaining on it so it's good news mm-hmm. but you should do this now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just weird too now because now there's the whole other sort of set of things with the vaccine and turning the corner to that. And then people are like, like conspiracy people are like, man, they've been working on this for years. But, it's, but then the science people are like, uh, yeah, we have been working on this for years because it's new technology, mm-hmm. that, like a whole new paradigm of vaccination that, that was embarked upon whatever it was like 20 years ago. And it just happens to be like, this new mojo that we can do with like genetics and all this. So uh, I don't know. It's not the the later ones will be the live virus, but this whole MRNA thing, it's okay. Listen, this is different. And no, this, it's not like pandemic came out and then people were like, shit, what should we do? Maybe it's, maybe we should do a vaccine. I don't know. Like how we do that. We have to make something completely new to fight this thing. So no, it's piggybacking on technology that's been, evolving for some time but the problem is that people plug into that information stream at different places and take these kind of truths perhaps in a particular context or depending on where you are in time space but there's a larger conclusion or sort of continuum to understand to give you perspective on it and that nuance is i think that's the dynamics of a lot of the misinformation situation is Mm -hmm. like 
like everybody's got a little bit of truth in some yeah. way. And and I think that weird nuance yeah. is important because I think we're all guilty of this to some degree, but there is no nuance online. There is no nuance when you're texting on your phone. There's no mm-hmm. nuance when you're emailing. There's no, for years and years, I've always like put smiley faces in my emails and stuff like that. And people have been like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because if I don't do that, they won't know it's a joke. (laughs) And those same people have said to me, oh my God, like I did the same thing and it blew up in my face and people thought I was yelling at them or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's, it's, I think that we forget that, that when you read something in a little chunk online, it's easy to think you've seen the whole thing or easy to think you understand, like you say, the nuance of it. And it's, but there is none. You've got to, you've got to, unfortunately you have to look to more sources or look deeper or read a paper, something like this. So I feel like that word nuance is important with everything. And one thing that came up the other day that I heard about was they were talking about people being afraid of the, the, the vaccine. And rightly, if in fact the vaccine had been rushed and was just being shoved out the door, like half baked or something, of Mm. course you'd be terrified. And of course you wouldn't want to take it. You know what I mean? That would be true. But, and that would be intelligent. (laughs) But Mm. this person was arguing that it's, it's, you shouldn't think about it being rushed. You you should think about it being given priority. So this thing was given time, hand, (laughs) brains, lots and lots of money. And And a lot of other stuff moved out of the way. And yeah, and we were able to, actually take it through every little gate and tick every box way faster than we ever have been able to before. But the boxes got ticked. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what this person said, okay? Because I haven't looked into all the boxes that have been ticked or not ticked. But that was interesting to me because that was, again, a nuance about, yes, it is done extra fast, but it hasn't been done extra with half the safeguards it's got yeah. all the safeguards it's just been right. done quickly so that's again yeah this sort of this nuanced thing and then also it's again every, every time there's an issue it's just about understanding proportions because people are concerned about the vaccine and they're already looking to examples of oh there's been a few people that had some sort of a bell's palsy situation 10 people or whatever it was and so this is a thing that we have to look out for now as a potential side effect of of it or whatever which is normal with any kind of mass sort of vaccination thing. And I guess what's strange to me is that just the notion of proportion is not taken into account, but everybody's right. So if somebody says, I don't want to take the vaccine, it's screwing people up in this way or that way, or it's too risky or whatever. And there's a plenty of reason to, depending on your sort of standing in the strata of this class system or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that have very good reason to not trust what's going on. That So I have maybe a little bit of a periscope point of view, maybe just because of where I'm a, a privileged kind of place or whatever you want to call it. But anyway, yeah, well, so it's just weird. But, but, but I want to say, ultimately, I think that I just want people to start championing the cause of just critical thinking and questioning things in a reasonable yeah. way and and also just media literacy if go follow stakeum on on twitter one of the best brand accounts ever made and that's their whole cause which by the way side note this is the most random thing and if you don't know what i'm talking about whoever's listening here uh, i'm sorry but the stakeum twitter account which is famous for this whole media literacy movement that it champions responded to something that Esther Lynn posted and then Stakem Twitter said that it was a huge uh, MMA fan and a huge Esther Lynn photography fan. 
So that was like one of the weirdest crossroads of the internet that I've ever witnessed. A sentient frozen beef brand account that exists in the ether is contacting one of our favorite photographers. So anyway, <laughs> it's a weird world. But I guess the point is just media literacy. That's a huge deal. Please consider your sources. Think about things a little bit. Everybody really, the quick to, to anger part of it's a little bit strange, right? Do you want to be angry? Like maybe before you go right there, really question things and call sources and evaluate them and try to ride the, the balance there somewhere. Know what to look for. Know what the cues are for things that are misleading and, and all of that. I had the benefit of taking, you know, whatever media studies classes back in the day. And that was, that's hugely helpful, but not everybody Read has manufacturing consent, everybody Read <laughs> right. manufacturing consent. Yeah. Like day one. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I want to say that everybody should also follow nihilist Arby's. Oh yes. And, and as far as like, class and vaccines. We're go. going deep. We're going deep I, today. I also just, I want to say one thing because I think this is imperative, especially for anybody who's like looking down their nose at somebody who has whatever reaction to the plague and the vaccines and everything else. When you live in a country where you have millions of people who cannot afford access to the medical system, you cannot then be shocked when those same people don't trust that system. Okay. Keep your mouth shut and we'll try to figure this out. But it's no coincidence that you've got so many people who can't even go to a doctor because they're scared of how much it's going to cost them. Mm -hmm. And then they come and say, everybody's got to get this shot so we can get the society. Any number of things could pop into that person's head and they're all valid for that reason, as far as I'm concerned. So Anyway, we have a lot of other healing to do in this country before it'd be not. It, it, that's one of the biggest things, too, is I think we've seen just how systemically fucked up everything is in this situation. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can get to some of that stuff as well. And we should also talk about some MMA today. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned on our text that we were talking about earlier is that we could talk a little bit about like best MMA stuff of the year, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And a couple things come to mind. We can just sort of talk about everything. I, I was wa watching the. I think it was morning combat or whatever. And it was, uh, Luke was talking about, he somehow they ended up on the subject of the Joanna Whaley Zhang fight. And they were questioning whether that's still the fight of the year. And now mm -hmm. I was reminded that, oh my God, yeah, we have to have fight of the year discussions because it's that time of year. And reminding me also that we started off the year with that fight, which I still do think is the fight of the year. That fight was insane. And and they mentioned that they were basically they were comparing it to the the fight we saw between Figueredo and what's his name? Moreno, right? Is that right? Yeah. Moreno? Yeah. Moreno. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and that fight was great, by the way. I loved that yeah. fight. It was, that was a hell of a lot of hard. fun. And that was like, for people who don't follow the fights or for people who might've missed that, basically you're talking about the littlest guys in the entire organization putting on a show that was as good as anything you're going to see in MMA and reminding people that, that you don't have to be a big monster person to put on an exciting fight. I've always liked the lighter weight classes and I'm glad that those guys made it matter and I want them to run it back as soon as possible. It came out as a unanimous draw. So it was, that's how close that fight was. It was, there was a little bit of controversy, not really for me at the end of the day, it was a great because fight. The, the point taken, you mean? Yeah, the point taken. Yeah. And, and I want to see that every time, frankly. Here's the thing. I warned you before the fight. That was mm -hmm. your warning. You kick somebody in the balls, you lose a point. You poke somebody in the eye, especially because that's the big one, you lose a point. That's it. 
don't do it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, is it is that just becoming part of the like the the champion handbook? To just once you become champion, then you got to start poking everybody in the eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. If you're in contention for the pound for pound belt, you better start poking people <laughs> in the eye. But so, yes, I think the Wei Li Zhang fight was amazing. That fight was great, but I really felt like the Yoana fight was great. And, and Luke brought up a great point. And I think it's a point that can, in, in a general way, be applied across the board to women's MMA. And I think this is one of the things that makes women's MMA different. And one of the things that makes it special is he pointed out how the Figueredo Moreno fight basically had an ebb where it it was like on fire and then it was burning and then it was white hot and then it slowed down a little bit. And then at the end, in the last round, Figueredo was able to bring back a little bit more energy than Moreno. That that kind of made all the difference in the fight because Figueredo had lost a point earlier. So by by having the extra gas tank to really finish off the fifth round with some energy and some activity, that probably got him that point back. And at the end of the day, he was able to hold on to his belt. Where Luke pointed out correctly that in the in the Yoana Weili Zhang fight, it was just five rounds of tornado warning, and yeah. it did not slow down, and it did not get tired, and it just it was insane. That shit yeah. was mesmerizingly crazy, yep. and I think that sort of enduring capacity in the women's in the women's division is one of the things that really does make it special, and it's rare that you see any of the women's fights not stay active. You know what I mean? It really comes down to the capacity of the fighters for their ability to grapple, their ability to uh, wrestle, their ability to strike, all the things that they have to do. But when you get even two people who are moderately good at all those things, so the fight can theoretically, the fight can move around and stay active. It will not slow down because of metabolism for the most part. There's a few girl fighters who have had their problems with their gas tanks. But generally speaking, that level of endurance is yeah. is is really one of the things that I think makes women's MMA, that's one of the things that makes it different. Maybe power is one of the things that makes the men's different. You see a lot more dudes getting their clocks clean, knocked out cold in the men's than you do in the women's. But but I think that speaks to that those different physiologies. And I'm always interested to see like, where is the women's MMA going? Cause I want to see more and more of that. I want to see more and more of how their sport is a different sport. Do you, and do you think, what, but do you think that that is the, if you were going to, if you're going to call a fight of the year, do you think that's it? I don't know. Is there, what are the contenders? <laughs> in any fight that happened. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many and there's so many um, ways you know, to sort Gaethje of measure and that Tony, stuff. Gaethje and Tony was a great fight, but Gaethje and Tony was also more of a counter-striker battle. And that wasn't quite the same as what we saw from Yuan and Wei Li, which was like, I'll sh point my asteroid at your asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But I think it's also, there was, there was something about, it's almost like if you think about five rounds as... This is going to be a sound weird, man, but I think you're going to follow me and understand. I think, think of five round fight. If it goes like a song structure okay. in the most basic way, or even you could think of it in, in writing terms too, in terms of a basic five paragraph essay, typical storytelling type of structure, the most fundamental structure, the first act or the first chapter or the intro paragraph or the opening part of the music is going to be the sort of introduction mm -hmm. 
and laying the the setting down for everything and and getting yeah. the 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 sort of yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the characters in place or whatever and then the next round is this sort of logical escalation now we're really in the this is really happening now there's no more mm-hmm. like with the lights cameras kind of stuff and feeling each other out and all that and, right. you know so the, so then the second round happens this way and then the third and the fourth and then the fifth this sort of conclusion or the sort of the struggle to try to reach a conclusion so if you if you think about it in terms of what close most close because it's hard to on one side of this sort of speedometer or whatever you want to call it you have like knockout of the year and then you have fight of the year and so whatever comprises you know whatever the componentry is of what really makes fight of the year is really more about a broad-based kind of narrative and how things played out and these sort of gives and takes and ups and downs and all that I just feel like that fight had this way of marrying itself to this sort of normative five-part structure. Which fight are we talking about now? The the Wiley Zhang, Yuana. Yeah, totally. Of course. Yeah, no, it really did. And and it was was just one of those fights that we, it's the reason why you watch fights, because you want to see a fight like that. And Mm -hmm. the fact that you don't get to see them that often is part of the magic. So when it does happen, and especially when it happens with a straw weight women's division, I didn't see that coming necessarily. And looking back, I don't know how I missed it, but in the moment, I didn't expect this to be the best fight of the year and just a nonstop five round war. <laughs> There's yeah. really no other way to describe it. It was yeah. It was everything. It was everything that I got out of almost everything. I would say in some ways. I've seen fights that had, there's moments in the UFC that are like iconic. I think the one I always think of is really Lawler and uh, Rory. Like that moment in the, it's the end of the fourth round or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're and, looking across there. And, and when they, yeah. And all of a sudden they, they're basically, I think they're coming out of a clinch or something. And the, the buzzer goes off and the referee steps in and the two of them are just standing there looking at each other. And they both kind of move a little closer and just stare at each other for a second. And Rory's nose is about to basically be so smashed that the fight's going to end in the next round. And and they're both just standing there, like looking at each other. And oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about that. So, you know, that's how good that was is because we're trying to talk about the fight of the year in the 2020 context. And we're going back to that. Because that's like the the gold standard. That's yeah. it's that level. It really uh, is of, an, of a situation, and it does have that like back and forth. And then the fifth round, there's this sort of everybody. It's almost I love it when the fifth round is down to this notion of and forget the scorecards and anything else, and forget who really actually technically wins by the judges or any other merit. It's basically two people that have fought intensely and then now they're coming out for this fifth round and they're both equally beaten up and it's something where they both it's they're starting back at the starting line of the fight again but they're coming in with their just you know battered and pushed to this point of exhaustion and everything yeah. so to see it this is anybody's fight it doesn't even really matter who wins or loses this fight because it's been so glorious to watch yeah that's one of the special that level too. Yeah. yeah, and I think what it fight, transcends the judges. Yeah, and what what fight? I guess it was the Moreno fight. Actually, was the Figueroa Moreno fight? That was one of those fights too, where you knew by the really by the third round, by the end of the third round, you're like, "This is an amazing fight." I don't care who wins because I love both these guys. And certainly by the fourth round, you're like, "If this is even if somebody had won the fight clean, you're like." 
I want to see him do this again. This is too good. This is too close. And mm-hmm. it's it's not just close. There's also something about the way they're matched up. With, with Joanna and, and Wei Li, it, it's almost like they're so similar in their own. They're different fighters, but there's a similarity in their determination and in the way they both just, they don't know when to stop. They both are very aggressive. And there's this immovable for unstoppable force meets unstoppable force kind of thing going on with both of them. And that's what makes it so interesting where with Moreno and Figueredo, you've got, they're different. It's more of a, it's a, it's, this is not the best analogy, but it's a little more of an Ali Frazier kind of thing happening. Uh, yeah. Two of those guys. And that's always interesting to see one. I was really, this was, I'd say one of the most surprising things about 2020 is that I'd say there's three, maybe the, there's three things I would say about this, but I would say that the first thing I would say, maybe it isn't so surprising, but I think it's also surprising <laughs> that when it was all said and done very much, finally, Tony never got a chance to fight Khabib like that, that, that I just assumed that would happen. Like at some point that would happen. And it's no, that's not going to happen so many times. It's going to blow your mind in 2020. <laughs> we reached the end of that line. Yeah. And then I didn't really see what's happened since then coming, which is Tony losing two fights in a row pretty badly. And yeah. in a way he wasn't as beat up from this fight with Oliveira, but as he was with Gaethje, just because of the nature of the fight. But, I've never really seen Tony just completely outmaneuvered at every turn. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a surprise this year. I, Tony was like, my, Tony was my guy, man. I was like, Tony's the one, he's the one who's going to, he's going to take down the Eagle. <laughs> it's funny how far away that seems already when it seems like this, yeah, this perfect collision was going to happen so many times and didn't, I don't know. I, I, I gotta say, I wasn't necessarily surprised mm-hmm. at all. I don't know. Not that I thought about it, called it in my mind or watching him thinking, but it was almost like every time that they would show, every time you would relearn his age, it's like, oh, he's actually, he's actually not like this is for the class that he's in and for the type of game that he plays. And what is his age now? What is he's 30, what is he, 36? Yeah. Let's, and, let's and that's a, and, and MMA 36, by the way. Yeah, so Tony thirty six. That guy's been through the ringer. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing too is it's like the yeah he's thirty six. See the mileage. It's just it's one of those things where uh, it's almost like a Jamie Hendrix type of phenomena or something where it's like when they are when everything is resonating and everything's humming and they are at the pinnacle of their game and practice and everything that they're doing. It just it's so interstellar. It's so magical and so beyond comprehension in many ways that you just take for granted the sort of ingredients of all that magic. And then all it takes is it's like a Jenga sort of thing. Like one, one of those variables gets pulled or your greatest weakness becomes your whatever it's whatever the thing is, you just can't fly that close to the sun for that long. Yeah. And and it's just, it's gonna, it's gonna happen for those that it's kind of one of my favorite guitar players this guy sean lane he died when he was 40 about 15 years ago 12 years ago something like that and really sad but i went to his funeral and somebody i heard somebody say he he just ran out and he ran out of notes Uh and i was like whoa (laughs) because he's a really quick like really adept player 
So I, I feel like the people that are operating on that sort of gymnastic of a level of whatever it is that they're doing, they're, I don't know, I feel like they're using up the, they're compressing their experience as an artist, perhaps in some way, not in all cases, but it just seems that way. And for people who aren't aware of what we're talking about, this guy, Tony Ferguson, who I've always, I, I, I like the fact that he actually was a wrestler at a university up in Michigan. So I feel like a, uh, like a homie connection to him yeah, yeah. Uh, for that reason, but he's just like, Incre- he's incredibly he, he embodies the reason why there is an art fight podcast frankly he is incredibly creative incredibly dynamic incredibly flow flowy he's all about some flow <laughs> and yeah. whether it's whether he's flowing or not he's gonna he's gonna you know dive down the river and hope for the best and and the and this is something that that helps to explain why maybe it isn't surprising that his careers had this precipitous downturn this year. He's one of those guys, one of the reasons his fights are so entertaining is because of this sort of reckless way that he fights. He has basically taken out some of the most talented people in the division, like a beast, like a monster, to walk through them and left them wrecked in the process. He's also almost been totally destroyed by people nobody knew their name. So like he fought a guy named Lando Venata. And I think that was even a late call. Like his, he was, his opponent had dropped out and they just pulled this Lando Venata guy out of nowhere and threw him in with Tony Ferguson, like a sacrificial lamb basically. And it was one of the most exciting fights of that year, four or five years ago, whatever that was. And, and uh, I love Lando, by the way, I still love some Lando and, and, and Lando's another guy too, who has this sort of recklessness to the way that he fights. And Justin Gaethje used to also have that recklessness and Justin Gaethje specifically just got to the point where he was able to fight for the belt. He did win the interim belt and was able to fight the champion because he turned a corner at one point and quit being the guy who was just walking into punches like he stopped doing that and it made all the difference in his ability to cover that last distance to the goal line not to mix my sports metaphors but it it made all the difference for him to go for that one let that one extra step to elite of the elite and mm-hmm. and on some level that's so, at least I don't want to put the final gavel on the whole thing, but for the time being, that's a step too far that, for Tony right now. He hasn't shown that he can go that that one further step where you're the guy on the moon, not the guy in the capsule. It's also just about how you sequence things and how you put it together. And MMA's, you know, sort of short memory, short-term memory, because Tony didn't lose a fight for like children were born and made it to fifth grade before he lost a fight or right. whatever it was. You know? And also too, for people who don't know, this was a guy who was scheduled to fight the champion five times. Am I right about that? There yeah. was like five times that was on the calendar and everybody's just dying to see those two guys go at it because it was one of those things where the thing that Khabib is good at is wrestling guys to the ground and smashing them until he can submit them basically. And Tony was one of those guys who was like possibly a genius on the ground, not only as a striker on the ground, the kind of guy who's been able to kick an elbow and just kick people's asses while he's laying on his back, but also a very inventive Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter who could, and for people again who don't know, in jiu-jitsu, when someone has you down on the ground on your back, you're not necessarily in a defensive position. You can absolutely attack the hell out of people from that position. So Tony was one of those guys who could be very offensive 
from that position. And it, it seemed like that could be the kryptonite that could make this Dagestani wrestler finally, finally lose, lose a fight, take you down, start to smash you on the ground. And then all of a sudden realize, oh man, I'm the one who's in trouble. But unfortunately we never got to see that. Man, when you, when you talk about that, all it makes me think about too is how I, f I feel like that what we've seen too is we, we got to see the outcome of what that would have been. I, I just, I don't think we missed like, it because it, you, you see where Khabib went and how he finished his career ostensibly and in a way that is just so unstoppable. That was an amazing win. His win over Gaethje was, it wasn't a five round war, but it was in a way the dramatic equivalent of that. When you see a, a veteran just marching into that octagon against him, because I don't know that Gaethje could have had any more momentum going into that fight. And Gaethje had a toolkit of his own that seemed like maybe he can do this. Maybe he can actually pull this off. And then just to watch Khabib just take him to just take him apart and make it look easy again every time. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And but I so I feel like we saw what uh, the way that I don't know Oliveira is unique, but I just feel yeah. But we saw a version of that. Yeah, because it wasn't like it wasn't tricky things that Oliveira was. Of course, there's tricky things in terms of the technique and getting the positions and all the things. But I'm just saying, it wasn't like he did some crazy explosion of a move and ended up in some bizarre, obscure submission and yeah. like some sort of expose of technique. And it, it was, but it wasn't like in this flair in that respect. And so I, I feel like yeah, what, what you saw was positional dominance yeah. preceding everything. And, and this is just my sort of outside looking in i'm not a, a fighter but it just it felt like Oliveira had total just it's obviously had total control and so there was there's no there's nothing in what we saw there that said this would hang with khabib for a minute and i think Oliveira, he especially with this last performance he is really somebody who i think if you wanted to make a list of 2020 like who emerged in 2020 he's mm. obviously one but he's obviously somebody who has now shown himself to be super special and obviously somebody who what is the deal tell me if you can i think i was probably supposed to know this but i'm confused as hell by this <laughs> okay. khabib says i'm retired i beat justin gaethje i'm retired goodbye Mm -hmm. Okay. And goes back to the East, the hero off to the East fucking Django music. <laughs> so that happens. Okay. But when you look on the rankings, they still have Khabib listed as the champion. So why is that? And why aren't we, why aren't we lining up the ponies to see yeah. who the new champion's going to be? Well, I am certainly not some sort of insider or whatever. I'm certainly not somebody that really knows what the hell they're talking about, but I have a theory, uh, even though I'm going to proceed that with, I don't know what I'm talking about. And that theory is, I, I think that there's been enough doubt seen uh, behind the scenes, mm. even if it's just the smallest crumb of that he might return in terms of the grab that that is, I think you leave a, you leave a space there for him, especially because of the circumstances through which he departed, right. father dying. His father died from COVID, and then uh, he came back 
fought a fight for the first time in his life without his father in his corner, his father's legendary coach in Dagestan and his coach his whole life. And obviously in some level, Khabib is like the prize of that whole body of students. And he told his mom that yeah. this would be the only, isn't that right? He told his mom. He supposedly uh, promised he his, his mother, mother that, this would be his last fight. Yeah. Told his mother, I'm just going to do this one and then that's it. But I feel like, I don't know. So if I'm the UFC, I'm thinking you're not going to rush to strip somebody and, and make such a Maybe. deal of it. And that whatever happens in that, in that entire weight class is going to be something that you would love to, I don't know, yeah. t- time with uh, a large arena being filled perhaps in the summer of 2021 or I don't know, or f- you know, whatever it is. So I, I feel like it's early, but, but I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just work here, man. But but yeah, and then so we should probably turn the corner here real quick. We got about fifteen minutes left, but uh, but I wanted to uh, make sure that we got into the other things that we wanted to talk about today with everybody. So what we're talking about is we wanted to have we talk about like yeah. creative stuff that that happened this year that like stuff that we thought was remarkable, just like the fight stuff. Let's do the art stuff and talk about things that we thought were remarkable. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I, if we talk about this for a minute, I'll think of some more stuff, but yeah. I think for me, the bigger story has for, here's one thing. It's been really hard for me to feel impacted by a whole lot of stuff this year because I've learned that, trying to explore exhibitions of art virtually is just, it's just lame, man. You don't, you can't, if you can't be in the space with the art and actually walking around experiencing what that is, it's, it, it's just no, it's, it, it doesn't really leave a very deep impression. (laughs) Sorry, it's not experienced. Yeah. It just isn't where usually at this time of year, I'll be like, Oh man, that show is awesome. I wish I could go see that show again. And if, if if I go to an exhibition and it's and it's you know powerful, I can't wait to go back to it. I'll go two or three times to an exhibition, especially if I have the time. In Nashville, there's lots of artist-run spaces and smaller non-commercial gallery places and stuff. And Nashville sort of has a calendar that a lot of people churn over every month. But I have really encouraged lots of places, not only for their own sanity, but just also, Hey man, if you guys are programming like good shows, then leave them up for two months because there's people should learn to think of them like movies. If you like a movie, aren't you going to watch it again? If you like a book, have you ever read a book twice? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like when something is really good, once is not enough, you know what I mean? And it can be really something else too, to go to an ep- an opening or something. If it's, if you know the artist, if you don't know the artist, go to the opening. Maybe you can talk to the artist if that's something you'd like to do. You can ask questions of somebody who's there or whatever. You can meet your friends. You can have a drink, da-da-da. But then you can also go back when the gallery's empty and have a whole other experience with the work. There's just so much about all that stuff that we weren't able to enjoy this year. So it, it makes it tough to pinpoint something and say this was the thing that was my favorite yeah because you didn't it didn't when really it comes to art galleries yeah and whatever the last thing is that happened whatever happened march 12th <laughs> you yeah. know or whatever. i think the last big art event that we went to was actually a a benefit that i was involved in for 
the Magruder Community Center where our friend Marlos has his social art practice project. They he has his gallery, he has his studio there. And then he and Courtney Adair Johnson run a program where they teach young people basically how to make art and talk about social issues and things like that. And this is in the North Nashville neighborhood. And a bunch of us did a benefit for that community center at Tournament Studios, which is in East Nashville. And that was, I think that was like the last time we went to an art event that would have been like second Saturday. And I think we went to the second Saturday stuff and then we went to that. And then I think that might've been it. Cause I think that was in March, but I could be wrong, but I remember that we went to the, we went to some art events in early March and then about a week later, we just locked our door and never left. Yeah. I know, man. It's, it's so funny to sit here and think about like that's the mode that we've been in, like to the point where it's hard to remember what we, what did we do in the, in the before, <laughs> in the before. Yeah. The, the before. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. So it was something like that. There was, I, I wanted to talk about other people's stuff and this is talking about, but, I, but I was involved in the show, but there was a show that Red Arrow did. That was a big group show that was called Breathless. And it was addressing the George Floyd murder, the tornado that we had here in Nashville, mm-hmm. and uh, also the COVID pandemic. And I really thought that title was like really interesting. I thought they did a really cool job of coming up with a title that sort of summed up all these things that Nashville's been through this year. And and then also put together this great roster of artists. And it was this really cool, like multimedia show, had everything you can imagine in it. And all these different perspectives on all these different issues that all fit under one umbrella. And I was, I really was, it was one of those moments where like the art critic in me was trying to step outside of the person who was actually participating in the show. Mm-hmm. And just I was... I was like really impressed because just in terms of curating a commercial gallery, it doesn't usually get that effective and creative. A lot of times, usually commercial galleries, if they knock it out of the park, it's because they just have a really great artist showing a solo show. But to put together- Especially to be responsive. Yeah. But to really- simple enough to be responsive. Yeah, exactly. But to be- responsive in this really, I thought, thoughtful way, and then to curate this- group of artists who were all able to jump into those themes and bring out these really unique works of art. I thought it was just ex- an exceptional show. Again, I if I can somehow take myself out of it and just say, there was a whole bunch of other, there's another 15 artists in the show, I think. And it was really special. I really thought that show deserved uh, a lot of attention and praise. And I, I feel like I'm saying that again, because I don't feel like it got it. And I don't feel like I was in a position to do it because I was a part of the show, <laughs> but, uh, but that show was very exceptional. And, and I, I was proud to be a part of it, Brian. There's, I don't know, there's such a, a, a texture to it all. Like I said, there's been this, in my mind, these kind of chapters to it all gradients of experience. And so if I'm stepping back and I'm thinking about it, I, I can't really, I'm not, even like the fight of the year stuff is hard for me. I, I just have been thinking about things in the sense of how the broad with fighting, like the, the UFC figured out a way to persist through this and the good and the bad and the ugly of that. And I don't know, I just, I'm just, it's not put a damper on things that I've appreciated things a lot more when they've been able to happen or when somebody does create work of any kind that I can get to in some way. It's definitely mm-hmm. been a good time to get back into sort of into music and not necessarily live performance, but and all that that is, but in terms of just being a little bit more of a 
going back to being a librarian of music in a way, like I'm really in the stacks more. It's not stuff that I'm listening to while I'm doing just something else or whatever. I'm concentrating more. I don't know. Anyway, in what way? Let's talk. Let's just go ahead and pivot yeah. into what like things you're yeah. doing and what your creative practice looks like during after a year of this. <laughs> Do you mean in terms of the sample and stuff or that too? Sure, but no, I guess I just mean it's kind of like whatever you're into. It's been a pretty good time to get deeper into it. If you're like, if if you're like, man, I always wanted more time to watch all this like whatever Criterion Collection stuff or whatever the thing is, or yeah, do jigsaw puzzles, whatever it is. I don't care. Like you just, you have the opportunity. You're, if you're fortunate and all that to, to be able to have a little bit more time, maybe uh, you're taking a shot maybe financially, but maybe that's a little bit more time. What do you do with it? And yeah, it's been about listening to things. I think again, more deeply, less distracted listening, deeper listening, being pursuant to the threads between different musics or regions or styles or I don't know, just thinking of things in like not a catalog librarian kind of way, but in a sort of relational, not research in a cold, sterile yeah. sense, just following the muse, but going down trails that are connected with what you're seeking out and what it's been interesting to see what feels good to listen to or what like heavy music or light music or party music or weird music or whatever it is just to see because that's a reflection of it's all agitating different things that you're feeling and or wanting to feel so it's been interesting to just get deeper into all that and so then in terms of my practice yeah i, I have i have gone to the woodshed on every single thing that i do basically but with the concentration probably in most in the areas of getting my all my sort of filmmaking videography type of stuff you know, all my gear switched out with the things that I optimizing everything for what I need and what I want to do and having all the right things and just the right things and not too many things and just all that. So I've really put my rig together in that way. And I'm like, so ready to go. You know what I mean? Like when all of this is done. So there's that. And then also just on the music front, gone deep, as I've talked about into this beast that's sitting right here, this Octatrack and this thing here, which is called the Analog 4, and these are both made by a company called Electron. And anybody that knows these things knows that they're wildly frustrating to get started with, and there's a hill to climb to learn how to use these things, but it's there's a great reward with it. And so it's been a really, I would imagine it's very similar to training martial arts or whatever else it is. You've, you're like, okay, I've just been shrimping on the mat for an hour. Like, when do I get to do the fun stuff or whatever? And you realize that all these things are being, you're being built. And so even with this, with this music stuff, with all the years of experience I have with all the different sort of software and hardware and all the various studio tools and everything else, this is like the first thing I ever sat down with. And I was like, okay, all I've heard is about how hard this thing is to learn. So I'm going to challenge myself to just turn it on and then see what I can make happen. And it was the first time I couldn't even make, I couldn't even get it to do like anything that I needed to, it needed it to do, but it's essentially a sampler and you can just put stuff into it and then reconstitute it in some really right. powerful ways. But anyway, so it's forced me to rethink absolutely everything about music and the way that I've ever done it. It's that cataclysmic. And then, so now I'm at a point where I've, I feel like I've done probably about a year's worth of learning, two years worth of learning in probably three months mm -hmm. in terms of what I've learned. But it's something where it's interesting because it's forcing me to make some 
decisions uh, with any new power, right? Or any new superpower, you have these choices now. Is this something, just because I can do this now, does it mean that I should do this now versus right. and just all that? So it's yeah, been- 100%. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. But anyway, so my studio is fully dialed in. You can't see it over here, but I've got a turntable going into an old MPC 2000 XL that I sample from records. Then I build loops and samples on the MPC. Then next to it is my weird tape deck. And so I put everything onto tape, then capture it onto tape into my system here. And then- What kind uh, of tape you tape into? A cassette or like yeah, yeah. reel to reel? Cassette. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you think about it, cassette is real to real. It's just the reels are real. <laughs> but yeah, but it's not, when we say real to real, we usually mean like yeah. quarter inch <laughs> or two inch or something. Yeah. Like, like whatever Gene Hackman had in the conversation yeah, or whatever. Totally, right? totally. That's what we think of. But so yeah, I have this actually a, a, a really cool cassette deck that is a uh, Norwegian from the late seventies and it's called a Tandberg tcd 330 and what it's vertical it's got these rosewood panels it's the most beautiful uh, artifact to look at much less how functional it is but the coolest thing about it this is your cassette recorder yeah yeah so the coolest thing about it it was made 1978 okay yeah and yeah i'm tempted to like screen share and show you but that's just going down a wormhole but the point is just that this cassette deck what it has that's unique is it has three heads so what that means is that you can be recording to it and then also listening off of the playhead. Okay. What that means is I can play with tape saturation and hear exactly how it's going down to the tape as it's happening. Oh, wow. Uh, so that I have a real time and you can adjust to what's called the azimuth mm -hmm. on it where you can calibrate the record head of the internal guts of the tape, tape deck to really maximize its contact with the surface of the, the tape itself. So you just get like the full breadth of whatever the width of is the of the tape that's allowable to you to record on magnetically yeah. so basically being able to listen off of it means that i can just get these great sounds out of it that that are really cool so anyway so i take all that and then i put it in so i'm sampling stuff from records playing stuff doing whatever it is but i put a lot of the stuff on cassette first for two reasons one it cuts all the really sub bass annoying stuff out there's super low frequencies that are just rumbly and mostly maybe erroneous turntable yeah. stomping on the floor, whatever. So there might be those kind of things. And then it takes all those super high end, crispy, too high end sounds and calms them down. So it's like tempers everything. It softens the leather of the sound and then, and then brings it. So then I capture it though at high resolution and then uh, play it out of my system into this thing. And then I've got prepared stuff that I can then start to to mess with. And then I can put beats together or ambient music or whatever the things are that I'm looking to do. And it this is a sequencer in a box. So it's Ableton in a box mm -hmm. with dials. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially like, you're at the mercy of, if you just want to play with it as a looper, you can. If you want to make it performative, you can. If you want to actually write out all the different parts and structure all and sequence all the different parts and then have your sort of playlist of sequenced parts that it, you're directing it to then go through and build songs in a traditional composition way. Like you can do that. Like, mm, so that's been what's so cool about it is it's usually like when you start a new discipline with something, what's happening is somebody's like, okay, this is a tennis racket. And so you're going to want to like the, the ball you want to hit here on the head of the racket. And that's where you're going to get the best response. And generally you hold it like this and you kind of, there's a preset sort of, 
uh, set of things about what that's for and what it, what it does. And it's very clear. You're just already past understanding what it is and what it means to you and how viable it is. And you're already into just the finer points of the technique of using it. So what's funny about this, this Octatrack world is it's, it's like LSD or something. It's like, what do you want it to be, man? Mm -hmm. like it, what do you want it to do? And so you come into it with expectations and all it does is greet you with questions that force you to make decisions all through the path and whatever you want to do, man, it can do there's like for the most part in terms of how you're working with sound or whether you want to live sample stuff or reconstitute things as they're happening or whatever, just anything you want to do, you can do it. So that's what's curious about it. And it's notorious for being, I can't tell you how many people have in sort of little communities that I've been having to dive into to get information about this thing uh, and how to use it. People have said a lot, this is my third time owning the Octatrack mm -hmm. because they, they'll buy it. They use, they hit a wall, they get frustrated with it. So then they don't really utilize it. So then it's just sitting around. So then they sell it, but then they're like, ah, and then they buy another one. Like, how it. weird is that? Like, how many, I can't think of anything like that where people keep, it's almost like a, like an animal in the wild. That's like trying to make sure that something's wounded enough to eat or something. It's like people were, <laughs> it's, it's that thing. Is this thing going to bite me or it's the funniest thing. So anyway, without going on forever about it, it's been a really cool winter time it's only because it's only light for about 49 minutes a day now and so it's been a really good darkness I and mean, i've been getting up at whatever six in the morning and doing all that so i, I haven't been doing my little sh sort of daily shoots because it's a weather's garbage now so i'll pick mm. that back up later but because it's just no fun when you're just like why am i suffering yeah uh, and misty and cold and cloudy today was pretty today we got some clarity yeah i was out for a bit today and it was very nice Anyway, so that's where I've ended up, but I will say like in, in wrapping up my side of this for the year, I'm just grateful and appreciate everybody listening. And it's been a, it's been a wild ride and I would like to not do this again. I, I do think that there's some part of it for me though, where I, and this is part of what's been making me so crazy is I'm going so deep on all this stuff because I know it's the only time in my life, probably again, where everything is just going to be a wash. <laughs> for a minute and so i don't have to feel guilty about taking time from as many other things to really focus on something so i've been telling myself from the very beginning you better come out of this with some completely new set of ninja skills mm -hmm. uh, and so i feel happy that i've been able to do that and i'm on the track to do more of that and so i feel like whew, awesome and i'm glad we've been able to keep the thing going it's been great it's been great for us granted our audience yeah, and I, yeah yeah. And I, I feel like the whole podcast has, has leapt up. We went from just doing our little audio podcast to now having this new platform and having the audio video thing going on. I think our whole guest uh, bookings like took another leap this year, which is, which was in a way that was like, maybe it was easier because there were so many people who were also just, I'm at home, man. Call me. I will we'll do, we'll, I'll do a podcast with you. So I feel we saw that that part of podcasting got easier this year. And I think we took advantage of that and, and were able to really take it to another level in terms of the guests we had on the show. I think, I think we did a great job. Uh, I'm happy with what we did on the podcast. I'm looking forward to doing it again next year and hopefully we'll be able to keep it up. There's some people that we have, you know, potentially out there right now for the next, for January and stuff. I think it's going to be really exciting and interesting. Some really cool guests coming up. And for me, it's, there's been similar things. I, like I said earlier, I just moved to a new house right before 
the the pandemics and the shutdowns and all this stuff started. Um, I'm very grateful for that because we went from a very tiny little apartment where I had a bunch of my stuff in storage and stuff because we didn't have enough space for anything. And, and we had been there for a while, patiently getting our act together and also looking for the next thing we were going to do. This is my wife and I, at that point, we've been married now and we were basically looking at, why don't we just pair down to one little apartment instead of two apartments, which is what, what we had at the time, and then make our next move together from there. And, and I was happy because that meant I was able to get my all my instruments and all my recording stuff and everything out of storage because that was one of the main reasons why we needed to have a storage is because I had instruments and stuff that we just didn't have room for at this small place we had been in. And uh, being able to get set up again so that if I am writing new songs, I can now go and actually put together recordings has been fantastic. And, and it's been really fun to do that because I had to come to grips with the fact that it's like, oh, a bunch of the stuff that you've been storing for the last several years was already getting a little bit old anyway. And now it's yeah. really old. And then I had to look into what if I wanted to replace this thing? And it's actually, you don't need three of those things anymore. You can just get one thing that does it all. And it only costs you know, like half as much as the most expensive thing used to cost. You know what I mean? So it's just, oh man, it, it's been really refreshing to see how much gear has gotten so good and so cheap and affordable like in in the last since the last time I did this where I yeah, yeah. was able to set up a space where I could be able to just pull my mics out and record stuff when I wanted to. Oh, hold on a second. My battery's getting low. Let me plug it in real quick. Oh, here we go. With the batteries. This is live television. You're just sitting here talking, up, Joe, about how every, you've got. I don't know why I'm incorrectly. I've had it kind of plugged in this like whole time, but gear is so I, great. Now I just, <laughs> you're talking about like gear is so great and everything. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, battery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. This is the problem with all that stuff is that once you have a bunch of gear, now you have to actually keep it running and make sure it's connected properly, and all that stuff can be fun. But I've got a good setup going right now up there. I this is a good time for me to make another announcement because. The real challenge for me right now is just that space is also super chaotic because even though I've got all the pieces of my recording chains up and running and working properly, the actual space itself is just a nightmare. Like it's like completely unworkable to some degree. It's not like I need to get like a comfortable chair that can roll around a little bit. I need to get an actual desk that I can have this stuff set up on yeah. so that I can actually spend hours up there mixing a song or something like that. Yeah. Right now I've just got it. I've got it. It's just a mess. I've got yeah, a, man. Pile of, a pile of books on the floor in the corner <laughs> and all this stuff. So the thing I haven't been able to do basically is just acquire some of the furniture that I need to get. And and the good news is even that stuff in terms of the space I have and the stuff that's going to work, it's, it's really inexpensive stuff. Let's, that let's, I need work to it out. let's work it out right now, Joe. Let's yeah. go. And, and, and what is your budget? What's your budget? I don't really, I don't remember. I've got this all written down though. I've got it all figured out what I need to get, but there's, but here's the thing is that I've been waiting to put that last, that last sort of, bit of effort and expense into it because I, I don't think I've talked about this on the show yet. Cause I don't think I've announced this to anybody, but oh. did I talk about this, the new thrive award that I got? I think you mentioned it. 
maybe I did mention it because it was a few weeks ago. I got the okay that I was actually going to get the money for the award. But I did a in in Nashville, the city's arts department. There, the Metro Arts Department is actually quite well funded, and they do a lot of funding of projects and awards and prizes and purchases and all sorts of stuff. Brian and I have both been fortunate to have the support of Metro Arts in the past, and the I recently received an award to do a similar project to the one I had done before. I did a project last, I got the award last November and I did the project in April where I ran a workshop with a bunch of middle school students. They wrote a poem about their neighborhood and then we put their poem up on a billboard in their neighborhood. And that went, that went up just like two weeks into the pandemic. It just so happened that it went up in the parking lot of a grocery store across the street from another grocery store. So it was this area where lots of people were going to see it even more than I thought were going to see it because it was one of the few places that was actually still open because so many places at that time just were shut down. Almost everything, the bars were closed, the restaurants were closed. The only This was a big intersection in Madison where was only one of the only places where you could see people going in and out all day long where my project ended up being. And because of the adpocalypse that followed, that billboard is like literally still up and I'm hoping it'll actually be up for an entire year. So we're getting really close to a full year. Yeah. But I conceived of another billboard project that'll be similar, but this time, instead of doing it with middle school students in Madison, we're going to be doing it with the essential construction worker poets at workers dignity down in South Nashville. So workers dignity is a workers organization that works primarily with immigrant workers. All of them who will be in my workshop are, are speaking Spanish or another language, which which is more of an indigenous Latin American language. I'm just getting educated on some of this stuff as we speak. So I'm not able to be, to talk like an expert about it at this point, but we are going to actually, I found out we're going to actually do our workshop on the 10th of January. And then I've got a graphic designer that I've organized with who will then take that poem and put it on another billboard, which is, I got my guy with the billboards down in South Nashville. So I've already got, got all these like pawns <laughs> on the table and this I've is going to you got a billboard guy. I got a billboard guy. It's uh, so it's one of the. This is one of those art projects where, for me, the art of it, the art part of it, for me is I'm going to conceive of this thing. I'm going to find a community organization to work with. I'm going to find the funding. I'm going to put all the pieces together. And then all these other people, of course, will also be getting some of that funding. So it's it's a way to to take this money and then put it back into the community. So it's a fun thing. I was really excited to do it the first time. I found out that the first billboard project I did got like a unanimous vote from, there's a board basically that has to okay the funding. It got a unanimous vote. I don't know if I got a unanimous vote this time, but I found out that we got the highest vote this time. So it might've been unanimous again, but um, it's been, I'm excited because I've basically been able to figure out a way to expand this sort of like street art thing that I've been doing into a thing now where we're creating art and putting it on those streets and, and creating art with the people who live in those neighborhoods. So it's, it's been really fun to find a new way to do this. So that's been good. And I found out today that uh, there was a delay in the funding because there was a freeze on money at Metro, at the whole city for other reasons. And we found out a few weeks ago that the money was in fact going to be available. So I can in fact do the project. And I found out today that I in fact will be getting a payment soon. Oh, and awesome. for me, that was me 
you know, the reason why these things are important and the getting this funding is important because this is the kind of money that I can make from an art project that I can then turn around and help me finish off this music space and things like that. Yeah. So I'll be able to buy a desk soon without, without. Yeah. Feeling like it's stretched. It's too right. much or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm a, I have one of these autonomous desks. I, I'm a big fan of these. They're, they're not very expensive. You can get a nice top for it. They go up and down autonomous. Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. And I like that. This is I, the part of it too, is the, like what I need is very limited because the space I'm in is it tells you what you need because I'm basically yeah. building out a studio in an attic space where you know, because of the dormer ceilings and all this stuff, it's, I, I, it would be great to have a desk that went up and down, but guess what? It doesn't go up and down up there, <laughs> you know? So, but it, Careful, it's, yeah. I do because of the, the, it's not a tiny room, but because of the logistics of recording, I do want to find something that has casters so that I can move it around because there's, I, I know there's going to be times where I'm going to want to just flip the whole studio and there's ways I can do that. That would be so easy but it's taken a bit of time for me to think it out and be like, yeah. oh, then I could just flip the whole studio. Then my amps are there. Then you're recording guitars. Then flip the whole thing back. And then I'm singing into that magic corner where I sound like a god. Yeah, right. That, that, <laughs> I don't know if you can see. So see this like Ikea shelf, this right here? Yeah. And you, remember, oh, you probably remember these from my studio when we were doing this in the studio. But uh, these Ikea shelves, you can get casters for them. And so in this, I have all of like my gear and stuff is compart. I have two of these and I have everything completely organized in, in the shelves for the gear that I'm using. And I use the top as a surface for all of these different oh, devices. Right? Yeah, it. It's just deep enough to where I can put a lot of these devices on it. And so it's pretty helpful, but yeah, that's cool. But yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is like, people don't realize that you can get these things on casters. And I like it because I don't like big pieces of furniture that are sitting straight on the floor. It's just, I don't know, because it's going to make the wood like change color, you know, over time yeah. with the sun and everything. I like them on casters, but I can move everything around in that way. And it's it's my storage and like the stuff I need to readily access for the most part is inside these shelves that you can get from either side. And they're on casters and the tops are perfect for putting a, you know, computer on or a laptop or a keyboard or a drum machine or yeah it's cool whatever i'm a big fan of these things for that reason plus the they're the kind that are perfect for records because i have a whole ton of records well so i have back here oh yeah i remember those shelves now that's the big record cabinet but then i also have for the records i sample in the one of these that is over there the whole bottom of it's just full of the kind of more weird junky records but, uh, but anyway but yeah like it's so it's so hard to get I, I feel your pain when you're like the space kind of dictates like what the hell's going to happen here. And then ultimately it's just where, whatever the space is versus my purpose and a head on collision. And yeah. it's just, it ain't going to be pretty, but it's going to be, and it's going to have to work. And I will, well, we'll see this also, it is uh, <laughs> the thing that's, it really is a, a blessing about it is that, that the main thing that you want to do in a recording space is good sound and having those dormer ceilings, it's Great. actually really good for sound because yeah. you don't have the bright reflection of a big square room. You know what I mean? And the fact that our upstairs is actually, it's all carpeted up there. And that also too is something where normally I'm just not into carpet in general, but having my recording studio carpeted is perfect because that's also perfect for sound. So there's a lot about the space itself in terms of the sound that's like fucking cherry. It's just a question of how can I make it maneuverable and how just because basically what it comes down to is 
it's it's about gear and it's about other things, but it's ultimately about just all the factors. How can I make everything as easy and fast as possible so that I can go up there and in a few hours get a whole bunch of tracks recorded? You know yeah. what I mean? And can I go up there and in two and a half hours walk out of there with a drum track, a bass track, acoustic guitar, and a mm -hmm. keyboard? And then I can go back tomorrow and sing a vocal on top of it. And now I've got the skeleton of a song. You know what I mean? Can I do that? How fast can I do that? Because yeah. the faster I can do that, the better. And that's yeah. why me in a place like I live in a place like Nashville because it helps me because I know people who've got great studios set up and they're great engineers and I can go into their place and we can do it that fast. And it's important because when you have cool ideas and interesting things you want to try, you, you got to try them as fast as possible because if they work, that's great. And if they don't work, it's also fine because we yeah. didn't waste any time on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but when you're the, when you're the one person who's trying to do all of it, it's extra important that everything is easy and as simple as, and accessible as it can be so that you can be like, let's, let's cut guitars and just push this here, pull this here, grab that mic, boom, la la la, crank up yeah. that amp and rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> Being able to get to a place where I've got that situation dialed in fully, yeah. then uh, that'll be great. I've got another space in my house where it's a really, it's just, it's down in my basement and it's, it's a great place to make a mess, frankly. And I've got it set up great for, to do any kind of like arts projects where it's like, oh, you're going to be doing these paintings or whatever you're going to be doing. And it's, yeah. And you can, it doesn't really, you, you could like have a huge fucking accident with a, a fucking tub of gesso and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, That's what I don't have. I don't have a place like that, like a, an unholy. Yeah. Dirty like, space. basically. Yeah. It's God. very clean actually, but, but it's a space where if it had to get dirty, it would be fine. And it would be easy to just clean it up later, just repaint a wall. In the meantime, nobody's, nobody's, nobody, if I'm not in, in my bedroom trying to pull this off and I've got so many friends, I had some friends who used to live over on Murphy road actually. And all three of them were artists. And by the time they left that place, like they literally painted everything. <laughs> like they had just start, they'd gone from trying to use the kitchen as a kitchen and an art studio. And yeah. then slowly but surely the kitchen just became the art <laughs> and that's uh, fine. And that's the thing you can do, but it's been nice to be able to have modest spaces by comparison, but totally functional for making work on and have a space that's quiet enough to record in and another space that's funky enough that you can make a mess, but nobody has to live in it. You know what I mean? It's been good. It's been good. There's, I know several artists in town who've got functional basement spaces. So it's a thing you can do for sure. But, but it's been, all that's been really good. That's been good too, because as I haven't been getting out to take lots of street photographs recently, Ever have not. and I've been, no, I have not been. And I, cause I've just not most of that stuff, that stuff that I, I find that stuff when I'm driving and then yeah. it's organically, I just realized like, Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to stop and take a photo and, or note to self come by in the morning. Cause the light will probably be a hell of a lot better here. <laughs> you know, and then you come back and get the shot later, but because I'm not driving anywhere, I just, it's, it's, I'm not that whole sort of just organic discovery of things isn't there. So it really has turned into a year for me where it's been a lot easier just to go back more into like collage and painting and things like that. And that's been super fun. It's been really super fun to get more into that sort of. I can make all collage inebriety. Yeah, and it's been fun because I feel like it's also like one of those things where 
you know, when it comes to photography and stuff, it's, it's just ultimately all about like composition and color and all those things to me. And that's the same thing that, you know, painting and collage and all those things. It's all the same. It's just, what's your medium? <laughs> it's been really fun though. I, I feel like it's been a good year in that way. I've been super active in terms of my, like my art exhibition CV. I've had tons of stuff and tons of shows this year, partly because there's been so many opportunities that are like virtual or mail art opportunities yeah. and things like that. So I've been grateful for that. It's been nice to be able to be active with that. And it sucks to not have played any shows this year because playing live is not a huge priority for me, but it is something that I enjoy. Yeah. Huh? Part of like the, I, I I feel like I know where you are. Where it's, you, you should do it sometimes because yeah. it really informs what you the the creating part, which is more what you. I feel like it's a, it's like a muscle that I want in shape, and yeah. and I do enjoy it because of I enjoy the company of my accompanist friend. I basically have seven or eight guys who all just move in and out of my band, and so it's always one iteration or another of those dudes. Yeah. And, and I like all those dudes and I wish I was playing with them. We've been able to get some stuff done. I put out a single on the summer solstice. That was a recording I'd done with my friend, Andrew. I got a hold of him and said, Hey, let's give this a, a, a more fuller expression and let's like actually put this out as my next single. So then I got a hold of my friend, Jeff, and we put a full drum kit on it because there wasn't a full drum kit on it at that point. And he was able to record that at his place. I put a new vocal on it because I hated the vocal I had on it. And I did that at my place. And then everything went to my friend, Andrew Adkins place. And then he uh, did the mixing and the mastering. And he had done the original recordings of the original tracks we used on the album and had played some of those tracks. And so it was a fun collaboration, even though we had to do it at a distance, it was rad that we could. And it was cool that I had enough of my situation worked out upstairs that I was able to record a, a finished vocal on a on a track that I put out. So it was a good test too. It was a good test for me and for that space, but we got that done. And now this winter solstice on the 21st, I am planning to put out another single and this will be, I've got an album that's like half mixed and we basically pulled the plug on it during the, the quarantine because I love being in the room mixing the album. To me, it's, it's the, it's the like, you do all the hard work of tracking and overdubbing and then it's time to mix. And it's like the fun part where you just get to make it sound awesome and God. sweat over like this the best feeling in the world. Like when you, when, when a piece of music that you've made just starts to have it, it's when it starts to build a sort of ride without training wheels exactly. and it just starts to stop wobbling and it starts to really, yeah. and you can get a sense of it's, I don't know, it worthiness or, or you know, something. You get to a place where you can quit worrying about whether it's terrible because you've probably worried that, oh my God, this is like legit terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to a place when you get, by the time you get to mixing, you get to a place where it isn't terrible. It's actually really good. And now all of your energy turns into this optimistic fire of like, how good can it be? You know what I mean? Yeah. And why I do this. Like when a fighter is on his game and he's connecting with everything, it's, this is why I do this. I go through yeah. all the bullshit just to get to this place. Yeah, totally. And so 
So anyway, with that in mind, we we had been doing that. I had been like going over to my buddy Jerry's house, working on finishing up this record pretty much every weekend, basically. And some nights during the week, if we had time to do it, it'd be like, yeah, come over. Let's take a pass at that song on Wednesday. And yeah. we'd you know go through it and send me mixes on Thursday morning. We'd be listening to them and then think, go back in on Saturday. Let's go back in and let's tweak some things on that. And then let's try this other song too, if we have time. So that process is so great and so fun that I was just like, you know what, man, I I don't want to just hand this over to somebody and say, because we've worked on this record forever for a million different reasons and a million different things that have delayed us. And I'm like, I'm not going to just not be in the room when we finish this album. So, delay, so delay, that, delay, that, delay. that's in the offing. That will probably come out in 2021, I, I assume. But then I basically started making a new album about this quarantine time. It's not about it so much, but it's within it. So it's like more of just a diary of the songs that I've been writing this year, which are all influenced by this experience. And I've been recording those upstairs. And now my, the first one I've done is with my nephew, who's an electronic musician in Detroit. He's the founder of an organization called Motor City Bass. And so he now has that song and he is mixing and mastering it and will be putting that out on the 21st. And I I have no idea what he's going to do. Basically, the the rule is I'm going to mail you what I everything that I think you could need that I want, that I feel like I want to record and put together for you. There's musical verses. There's verses that have lyrics on them. There's all these different kind of iterations of things you could use if you want. Send it all to you, and then you do whatever you want. But it's already fundamentally different just because of the fact that I don't have analog drums and bass on it the way I would with a normal recording. And also that I'm handing it over to my maniac nephew who, who is trying to build the loudest sound system in Detroit. That's what I'm talking about. It, 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 who knows what it's going to be, but it's a song called The Present is a Gift. And I realized that it's, that is such a Christmassy sounding song, even though it's not a Christmas song, I'm like, Let's put this fucker out. Let's put it out on the winter solstice. And that'll be coming to my band camp, Mighty Joe Nolan band camp on the 21st. So that'll be out on the 21st. And that'll be the first song on the other new album that I'm working on, which doesn't have any other songs fully recorded yet. But that's Mighty, coming in Twitter. Mighty Joe Nolan dot bandcamp dot com. Yeah, that's right. I think that's how it works. 21st. Can you'll see the great conjunction in the sky the christmas star is back this year you'll see the great conjunction of jupiter and saturn on the shortest day of the year and that'll remind you that also joe nolan has a new song out <laughs> this, is well, great. this is great yeah, uh, yeah yeah hopefully it'll be like like scratch perry meets the iggy pop is this distracting distracting a roger carmen film <laughs> sorry 2020 20 oh i missed that bit <laughs> that was a great bit sorry i'm just turning off my annoying things uh, but 633 brian in in masonic terms that's a lucky number and we should probably go yeah. ahead and sign off is that true yeah are you sure yes you didn't <laughs> make- okay you sure about it okay all right hey thanks everybody thanks joe nolan thanks uh thank you brian i appreciate all your hard work this year Man, we've got a lot to be proud of. We had our 100th episode was uh, definitely a highlight. Go back and check that out.
That was pinnacle. And uh, some great episodes with our uh, spirit animal, Robin Black. Thank you to Robin for being a part of the show again this year. He's one of our all-time best buddies in terms of uh, somebody who helps us believe this is worth it. <laughs> yeah, man. It's been awesome. And we I can't believe we've already done 14 episodes since that 100th episode. So let's just keep going, man. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Joe, you want to... Uh, Naveen Barwari, Naveen Barwari wins best pod bomb. I didn't know pod bombing was a thing, but Naveen broke the glass ceiling of pod bombing. That was pretty, that was pretty next level. Yeah, uh, that was totally next level. Artist Naveen Barwari pod, pod bombing. Marlos shook. Marlo, oh man, we got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks everybody. Um, Joe, I'll see you on the other, other side of this outro. And, All right. Thanks uh, everybody. So next week, next Thursday is Christmas Eve. I will be celebrating my Christmas from afar with my family in Detroit on Christmas Eve. The next Thursday is New Year's Eve. I will be drinking. So we won't be doing this again till the next Thursday after that, I'm assuming. So we'll talk about that, Brian, but we'll probably see you guys just after the new year, the following Thursday after that. And we'll look forward to that. We thank everybody for being with us this season or this we'll year. I guess we don't really do seasons anymore, but we'll we're 100 episodes and going. If you're an MMA person, we appreciate you and hope you listened uh, and learned something about uh, creativity and art and how that is also part of the fight game. If you're an art person, we hope you learn something about martial arts. Maybe you became a combat sports fan, or maybe you, you know, have a better understanding of why we're doing such a weird podcast. And, and uh, we just want to thank everybody for being with us. All of our guests, everybody who's had us on their shows in return. We appreciate all you guys and we'll see you guys in 2021 art fight out. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.